So last week we talked about temptation, and we went through um, Jesus' temptation in the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry. So how many of you were able to put that into practice and you experienced no temptation this week? A couple of our super spiritual elders? No. <laughs> no, because we don't avoid temptation, right? The, the thing is, we're trying to figure out how to deal with temptation. And, and at the end of last week, we gave just a, a few little thoughts about avoiding temptation and, and practical steps. We ran out of time. And this is so important that I wanted to expand on those and actually spend some time on those. And so today will be a little more practical at times, um, some hands-on with how to use some tools. My hope is that we understand just how serious temptation and sin are. And we get just as serious about resisting it and stomping it out and defeating it. That's my goal. And, and there's all kinds of books written on how to resist temptation. I was reading one Bible study um, for, for men, and they were talking about temptation and how to avoid it, and they recommended a rubber band. So I have a rubber band here, and this has helped me um, not sin anymore. <laughs> you laugh. This is, this is a very special rubber band. Now, <laughs> and, and what the suggestion was, every time you're tempted, whether, whether it be to, to yell or get angry or have an attitude that, or, or maybe lust or lie or whatever, every time you're tempted, you take the rubber band and you lift it up and you flip it. And you snap yourself, right? That sort of hurt. And, and the theory was, if you do this enough, you will stop sinning. <laughs> you guys are looking at me like I'm a little nuts. All things say that might be true, but um, no, that's not how we resist temptation. Have you thought about why? Why is that not the best way? It's what? It doesn't prevent, Right? And, and it's really dealing with temptation on a very surface level. If I can have some sort of stimuli that hurts, then I'll stop doing it. This is the same thing they do sometimes to get people to stop smoking, right? Every time you pick up a cigarette, now they do it with electric shock or something else, which, yeah, that might work. Um, and and, and it's, it's basically a Pavlov's, Pavlov's dog approach to avoiding sin and temptation. The problem is you're not a dog. You are a child of God, made in the image of God. And when we settle for little things like this, we are settling for a, a, a minuscule amount of what is available at our disposal to defeat Satan and to defeat sin. It, it's like I, I can remember taking out um, most of the concrete in my backyard, and at one point I had a choice between a hammer and a jackhammer. Not a hard choice the rubber band and things like this that are surface, if I just do this, I'll stop sinning. Or if I just do this, this is using a hammer when God says, oh, I have so much more for you. I have so much more for you. See, when it comes to temptation, when it comes to sin, we need to deal with the source and we need to deal with the root. That's why last week when we looked at the temptations of Christ, we looked at some of the root things that Satan was trying to tempt him with. Because you and I, none of us are going to be taken to the top of the temple and said, told to jump down. That specific thing is in our temptation. But the temptation for glory, for attention, for significance is something that we all struggle with. And so we see in his temptations some general principles, some general things that we're all tempted with. And we see by his example how to get to the heart of it, the root of it, and really
really deal with it instead of the silly rubber band or something like that. You know, another example I think of a lot, and you've heard me talk about it, not in a couple of years, but um, gophers, right? The, and you've heard me talk about gophers. And the thing about gophers is you can cover up the mounds and you've done nothing. You've snapped the rubber band. Everything looks great on the surface. And we're really good as Christians of looking great on the surface. We come to church and we know how we should look. And actually, I think that's part of why we don't defeat temptation is because we're not real with each other so many times. But in, in gophers, there's really only one way to cure the gopher problem. And it involves blood or something like that. I, you've got to kill it, right? And you've got to get down there and get, you know, at, at one point I tried these little um, sound stakes you put in. And you dig a hole, you put them in, and it's supposed to repel the gophers. And so it's, it's sort of like the rubber band. It doesn't get rid of the gophers, it just repels them. The, the problem is, every time I used one of those, I ended up with about five times as many gopher holes. What they don't tell you is it actually attracts them. And, and they say only for the first few weeks, because they're wondering what the sound is, and they're trying to get rid of it. My, I had persistent gophers, and so they never left. And it just attracted, and so I, I actually figured out that the only real way that that's useful is to put it in your neighbor's yard. And um, <laughs> no, don't do that. Don't. don't. We actually had fun with it because he got the same ones, and so he left his in, and I took mine out. No, you, you've got to get to the source. You, you've got to deal with it at a level of the heart, because, like I said, we're not dogs; we're people with souls. And we're people with, with minds that are thinking and can reflect on God. And so God wants to interact with us at a whole different level. When we just try to stop sin and temptation on the surface, man, that's a shallow way to live for Christ. And, and it's an unfulfilling walk with God. And so today I want to get into this and I want to talk about what are some of the practical ways to deal with temptation. And, and I put some of the notes there from last week so you can see that and I invite you sometime this week to read through Luke 4, the first 13 verses again. And we talked about some of the preliminary truths, some of the helpful truths, that Satan is real and does tempt us, but our own flesh is pretty good at it too. And temptation is often and usually a perversion of what is good. It's often stronger when we're most vulnerable, and there's always a way to defeat temptation, always, because God is the one doing it, not us, and that we're not alone in our struggle with temptation. And then I also put in there the, the main points from last week. I, I, I summarized them a little bit just so we can understand those temptations and worded them sort of in the ways that we struggle with them. And, and really, we saw three major themes of Christ's temptation. The first one was the temptation of appetite. And yeah, a little play on words, but I'm not just meaning hunger. I'm, I'm talking about whatever our flesh desires, whatever our, our self desires. And that's what the bread was a play on. I, I see, I want, I take. And that's what, what Eve did. That's what we often do. And, and it deals with elevating our comfort, our leisure, our desires above all else. And it's really our cravings and our hunger that that is, is, is dealing with. And so Jesus said, no, it's, it's not about the bread. It's about the word of God. There's something more important here. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so we saw the temptation of appetite. And if you think of, of some of the things we're tempted with, often it's just the desire of the flesh, right? Often it's like, I, I want to do that. I want that. I, I, I want to take that. I, I, I want to do that. And, and it's, it's just this impulsive, quick, I'm just going to fulfill my wants and my appetites. 
The second one we saw in, in, in last week was the temptation of power and control. The temptation of power and control. And that's where Satan took him up um, probably in a vision and, and showed him all of the kingdoms of the earth and said, you just bow to me right now quickly and it's all yours. It's all yours. You don't have to take the hard way. You don't have to die. And so it was, it was taking the easy way to power. And the temptation was that power and that control. And, and for us, yeah, it's not kingdoms, but often we're tempted by ways that we control other people, ways that we, we impose our will on other people. And so we get aggressive and we get assertive and we, we try to manipulate and control situations. And Satan's using that as a temptation in your life. And we talked last week about that really the, the issue of power and control is an issue of worship. Will I worship self because I want to be in control or will I worship God and release control to him? Who's more important? The third temptation we talked about last week is the temptation of significance. To do whatever it takes to elevate self. And that's where Jesus was taken to the pinnacle and and saying, just throw yourself down. God said he'd protect you. He will. And, and, and Jesus refused. And, and that would have been something that would have brought him glory with the people that were worshiping there. They would have immediately recognized him as the Messiah. Oh, the, the power or, or the significance, the glory that would have come from that. But again, Jesus used Scripture. And he said, no. No. And so in those three temptations, we hear Satan saying, surely you should feed yourself, Jesus. Don't deny yourself. Surely the Father wants you to have authority, so just give me your allegiance and I'll give you power. Surely God will protect His Son, so why not try it out and, and, and have everyone in awe? And you can save the world that way. And we're tempted by those three things in different ways, but in those three things. And I'd like to just at the beginning today have you stop and say, okay, which of those three is your weak point? Which of those three is your weak point? We, we talked about some of these with the, the men's group a couple weeks ago, and, and I really appreciated some of the honesty because some people said, well, actually, yeah, all of them. But, but look at those three and say, okay, which one, and, and don't write it down or anything, but I want you to put, bring it into your mind so as we talk, you can see the Holy Spirit start to work on that. And the Holy Spirit starts to say, is it, is it that man I just give in to my appetites? And, and we go there, and, and <clears throat> that's the one that gets you in trouble in relationships, and and in purity issues, maybe it's the temptation to power and control or the temptation to significance. I need to please people. I need to be liked by people. But all of us, I would say, lean toward at least one of those, if not more or all. So have that in your mind as we talk and we go back through some of the points that we made in the last, I think, three and a half minutes last week uh, of how to defeat temptation. I want to explore these a little bit more. What can we learn from Christ? And, and this story, and I'm bringing in some other scriptures this morning, to apply, what can we learn and apply about defeating temptation? How can we do this? How can we put feet to our faith and actually, actually not just come on Sunday and say, temptation, bad, and actually through the week say, no, I will see God's victory over temptation in my life. <clears throat> First thing is we need to work on constantly living by the Spirit. And like I said, the points you'll recognize from last week, but I want to, to flesh those out, 
work on constantly living by the Spirit. Right in verse 1, it says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Holy Spirit in the wilderness. And like I said last week, the was led by, the second one, is actually an ongoing action that says every day, every moment in the wilderness, he was being led by the Spirit. And so as he's going, his, his life was one that was being controlled and directed by the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus giving us this example, a perfect example of how to live. And, and in this, there, there's some things that living by the Spirit offers us. And, and I fully recognize that living by the Spirit is a Christianese term that either some of you have hairs already standing on the back of your neck because you have a background with some abuses of that, or some of you just don't even know what it means. Because we, we throw this word around, and so what does it mean to live by the Spirit? And unfortunately, we have seen abuses, and we've seen the pendulum go from, from situations where the Holy Spirit is credited for things He's not even part of, but then I've seen the pendulum in church going to where the Holy Spirit is, is barely even whispered and is a non-existent entity. He is real, and He is the third member of the Godhead, of the Trinity, and He's living inside you. He is the gift of Jesus to his followers to help you live life. We dare not ignore that. We can't. Because that is the the jackhammer. And we're, we're using hammers. And so we know that Jesus faced temptation as a spirit filled man. He fully relied on God for strength. And, and just some, some verses, I think of Romans 8, 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on things of the Spirit. And so Romans, Paul in Romans even backs up that the answer to, to not having our minds on fleshly things, the answer to temptation and sin, is to live by the Spirit, to focus on the Spirit. A couple things about starting to live by the Spirit and being to, to recognize that that's a daily, moment-by-moment, hourly, minute-by-minute thing, is when we start to see life as controlled by the Spirit every moment, we start to realize a closeness to God that we don't feel any other way. And so living by the Spirit keeps us close to God. It helps us be close to God. And so we, we don't keep God at arm's length and then just say, oh, help me with this. I can remember hearing a, um, one of my professors talk about a, a pastor friend of his that had ended up getting, uh, falling away and falling into sin, had an affair with his secretary, a successful pastor, ministry just ruined after that. And in the conversation with that pastor, and you've heard me say this before, but it, it just sticks in my head so much. In that conversation, my professor said, what happened? You were a man of God. You were, you were on fire. You were making a difference for the kingdom. And the pastor said, when you don't walk close with God, you walk on the edge of an abyss. And I I do just love the word abyss, but um, catch what he said. When you don't walk close to God, you walk on the edge of of an abyss. And he's saying, yeah, on the outside he looked great, but his life wasn't spirit-led. His life wasn't one of daily saying, I am close with God. And when we do that, We are on the edge of a deep chasm of a canyon and one wrong step, one thing, and boom, you're gone because you don't have that guardrail. You don't have that protection. So when we think of living by the Spirit, it's about walking close with God, staying away from the abyss. 
So living in the Spirit helps keep us close to God. It also gives us a different motivation to resist temptation. Because now I'm not resisting temptation because I might get snapped by a rubber band. That fails. Eventually something looks so appealing that it overcomes the pain. But rather, when we live by the Spirit and we have this close relationship with God, now I'm resisting temptation and staying away from sin because I love God. And God is incredible in my life and He's close with me. And and it's a whole different motivation, one that actually lasts and means something and one that's temporary and will fail you. I mean, imagine in your homes if the only reason that that you were, were close to your wife and that you didn't annoy your wife, men, we, we do that sometimes, the only reason is so you could have a happy life, so you could watch the game later today or, or now, which, by the way, we're talking of temptation. I forgot to mention this at the beginning. And football season starts this morning, right now. So, so turn off the phones. Don't give in, or we'll snap you with the rubber band. No. Um, <laughs> But if the only reason that I am am trying to be a good husband at home is to get what I want, that motivation fails. At at some point, I am going to snap at my family and and be angry at my wife because that's that's just not enough. Now, if my motivation for how I'm a father at home is and, and, and how I treat my wife is, man, I just love her so much. She is amazing. I love being with her. Spending time with her is a joy. Seeing her smile makes me melt. That motivation goes so much further for, for me acting like I should in the home, like, like a godly man, like a, a godly father. The same is true spiritually. If it's just to avoid God's hammer, eventually that doesn't work. That's the law of the Old Testament that Jesus came to save us from and give us a new reason for walking with him. But walking by the Spirit is he's given us a comforter. He's given us himself inside the God himself to help us to walk with us to be in communion with us because he loves us and I love singing songs about how great God is and how awesome God is because it's a motivation that's different make sense so we need to fill our heart with that relationship with God when God asks us in in his word to not do something he always gives us something to do so that way there's something to fill it with and we fill it with that awesome relationship with God. So how do we walk by the Spirit? What does that look like? How do we get past just that phrase? I, I think Ephesians 5.18 gives us a clue. And, and it's a familiar verse, and it, it reads, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, now so many times, and rightfully so, we use this as a verse of, of not getting drunk, and, and that God is, uh, is commanding us not to. And that, that's very true. But, but did you catch the second half of that? But be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's making a comparison here. And the reason he's using drunk is because it's an illustration of the pervasiveness of something that has control of your life, right? When you're drunk, well, hopefully you're not. When someone is drunk, they're drunk. It's affecting every action, every decision. You, you can't just be, be drunk for two minutes and then not drunk. It's... Alcohol takes over who you are. It affects your attitude. It affects your personality. It takes down your inhibitions, which is usually a really bad thing. And and Paul is saying, don't do that. Don't let something from this world control you. Rather, 
be filled by the Holy Spirit. And it's the corresponding instruction there. And the idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit is, I, I hate to use the terminology, but please, maybe this will help, to be drunk on the Holy Spirit. Where the Holy Spirit is now controlling every action. The Holy Spirit is controlling our responses to people. The Holy Spirit is the one that's directing. And, and, and just as alcohol is so pervasive when it's in our system, that's how pervasive the Holy Spirit should be. Controlling every thought, every action, every desire. Now, now to do that, we need to be intentional about giving Him that kind of control. About allowing Him to work in that way. And that's where last week I just mentioned one question. I have a couple today. But the first question is, just in, in moments throughout the day, saying, what, is it, what does the Holy Spirit want me to do now? What does the Holy Spirit want me to do now? What does He want me to think now? What does He, what does he want me to, to focus on right now? And so what you're doing is asking the Holy Spirit to direct. Now, uh, again, this can be taken to extreme. I'm not take, talking take two steps and say, okay, which, which aisle does He want me to go down today? It's an attitude, though, of dependence that is, is constant. This, is, this goes with the pray without ceasing in First Thessalonians. It's this attitude of dependence that is always seeking, okay, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Direct me. Listen to me. But the, the part that I wasn't able to get into last week, it's, it's also acting on what the Holy Spirit puts on our hearts and puts on our minds. Now, if, if we're to live by the Holy Spirit, we need to be asking the question, but we need to start acting on impulses that we know are godly impulses that the Holy Spirit puts on our heart. Have any of you ever walked into the gym afterwards, gotten your coffee or water or whatever you're getting, and inside you're like, wow, I haven't seen that person in a while. Maybe I should go talk to him. And then you didn't? I'm guilty of that. That's probably the Holy Spirit nudging. It's probably the Holy Spirit saying, go talk to him. If it isn't, God is sovereign and, and can redirect anyway. So follow those nudgings. You know, when you wake up in the middle of the night and someone's on your mind, pray about them. Pray, and, and then later, and this is where it gets a, it gets a little sketchy for us because we're, we're just into ourselves. Later say, hey, you were on my heart last night in the middle of the night and I prayed for you. Anything going on? So actually follow up. And if we're to walk by the Holy Spirit, it's got to affect our walk. Otherwise, we're not walking by the Spirit. And, and when we do those things, God actually blesses us and he blesses the other person. I, I, I can remember some prayer warriors and one in particular, Karen Gertson, and, and most of you know Karen. She would often be up in the middle of the night and, and the Holy Spirit would put someone on her heart to pray for. And it was uncanny because it was always someone that needed prayer weirdest thing ever but it's not weird because the holy spirit and she had learned how to listen to those promptings and act on them you know if, if you struggle with insomnia maybe god's wanting you to pray and pray for people because i got to tell you if that's your answer to insomnia and, and it's from satan you'll get to sleep pretty quickly he doesn't want you to pray take advantage of those times when god puts something in your heart there's times during the week that, that some of you will be on my heart and just I, I just stop and pray and, and talk to you later and find out stuff was going on that week. Our rational Western minds want to say that can't happen. That's bunk. The Holy Spirit 
can bring people to mind. Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. His whole time there, he was led by the Holy Spirit. We need to figure out what that means in a biblical, God-centered way. So this week, today, God puts someone on your mind to talk to, go talk to them. God puts someone on your mind to pray for, go pray for them. You don't know what's going on. Even this morning, I heard of several needs in our congregation. And I bet the Holy Spirit's already put some people on your heart to pray for. That's part of what it means to be, be led by the Holy Spirit, to act by the Holy Spirit. We saw that in Jesus. We, we'll see that all the way through Luke. It, it comes up over and over and over again. Second thing there is we need to crush temptation with God's word. And again, the point's the same from last week, but I want to explore it. Chew on it and memorize it. And, and I, I use chew on it because that's really the word for meditate on it in the Old Testament. It meant to chew your cud, to, to a cow regurgitate something and, and chew it a while and swallow it and then bring it back up and chew it and swallow it. That's the chew it. And then memorize it, we talked a little bit about, is, is really getting to where we know God's word and can just bring it up like that. We, this is the clearest way that we saw Jesus dealing with temptation, right? Every temptation last week that we talked about, he answered directly with, by quoting Deuteronomy, by quoting the law, and by, by quoting applicable verses. It wasn't just random verses. He, he knew God's word and knew how to apply it. And if we're to be serious about temptation, we need to be serious about being in God's word, meditating on it, chewing it, and, and memorizing it. You know, Joshua 1.8 on meditation says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Interestingly enough, this is where Joshua is taking leadership and preparing a people to do a work for God. And he says, This book of the law will not depart out of your mouth. You will meditate on it day and night. Pretty much covers it. Again, it should be pervasive. So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. And he's talking about God's work will be successful and God will, will be with them as they obey him and follow his commands. Psalm 1-2, when it's talking about the righteous man and the wicked man, for the righteous man says his delight is in the law of the Lord. He likes it. He enjoys it. And on his law, he meditates day and night. You know, how, how do you do this? One of the ways, so I encourage you to be reading your Bible every day in, in bigger sections, but then to pick maybe one or two verses out of that. So I'm going to meditate on that verse today. And, and just put that on a card or, or write it out on a piece of paper. Put it somewhere where you can see it would be my recommendation. This isn't how you have to do it, but this is something that's helpful. Put it where you can see it throughout the day. And throughout the day, make sure you're reading it 20, 30 times. And just see what God does. You know, one of the things that, that Phil does with the elder board when, whenever we meet, he just brings in one verse. And at first, there's true confessions here, at first I'm like, okay, that, that's a two-minute discussion. And then as we talk about it and meditate on it and chew it, we could, we could talk a half hour, an hour on this one verse, right? I mean, th- this, is, uh, this is meditating on God's word because this is God's supernatural word to us that is rich and deep. Stop playing in the shallow end in the Bible and let's get deep in it and understand what God is trying to teach us. So meditate, it, it means going over and over every day. Memorizing, I, I am 
just really, really sold out on memorizing God's word. Mostly because the Bible says memorize God's word to stay away from sin. I mean, let's, let's go with that, right? And we talked about Psalm 119, 9 through 11. And, and how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And we see verse after verse like that where, where being able to combat Satan, combat temptation, is tied to God's word. And so we've got to memorize God's word. How many of you are great memorizers? I see. It's okay to raise your hand. That's cool. That's awesome. Some of you, Susie has like this photographic memory. And I'm like, wow, I'm in awe of that. Um, For me, it takes work, especially now that I'm a little older. And I mentioned that last, last week. So, but is it worth the work if God says this is one of the strategies to combat sin? Or would I rather be happy with the sin? That's the question here. Now, now I understand nothing out of these seven points we're going to talk about today, seven suggestions, nothing of these is a wow moment of, oh yes, I have a new magic incantation, I spin around three times and, and temptation's gone in my life. These are all ordinary faithfulness to God. Guess what? That's what works in a relationship with God. That's what works. And, and this is not our natural inclination. Your natural inclination won't be to go and grab your Bible in the morning or grab your verse pack unless you've trained yourself to be that way. Our natural in- indication after we hit snooze five times is to go on and do something else. Mark and I were talking. Is Mark in here? Hi, Mark. Um, Mark and I were talking this week about books and um, there's a, a series that he and Jeffrey are reading that's a Christian series, but it has been an effort to, for them to start that series. And Mark made the observation, and sorry if I embarrass you, son, but um, he said, so dad, it, it seems like Christian books are a lot harder to start than other books. He goes, but once I start it, it's great. I can't put it down. I don't know why it's harder. And he, he insightfully caught something that we do not naturally incline ourselves to spiritual things. We go the path of least resistance. We go to the temptation of desire and appetite. And so, yes, there is an element of discipline here. We have to to force ourselves to, to memorize God's Word, to practice God's Word, to chew on it. But it's worth doing. It's worth doing. In your worship folder, I, I put a verse system there. And I know I had it in the back last week, but if you, if you like having your hands on things and a manual system. This is a great way to do it. It's based on navigators and memlock. And, and what it does is basically use three by five cards and, and you have different sequences for your, for your memory verses. And systems are great. And if it helps us memorize God's word, that is awesome. And in that one, you take your 10 most recent verses and you review those every day. And you just go through the cards one by one and you take just literally two minutes on it. And if you don't know it, you read it a couple times, go on to the next card. You don't have to do it all in a day. The key to Scripture memorization is repetition over time, not just a chunk. It's sort of like studying for exams, college students. That's a whole different talk. And and so you do those 10 every day. And then once a verse has gone through your 10, and you, you, you add maybe one or two verses a week to that. 
And then after they've spent those 10 verses in your daily review, you move them to your weekly review. And you just review three of those a day and you you cycle through them. And the, the paper explains how to do that. And then after they cycle through your weekly, then you move them to your monthly and you're reviewing them once a month. And the concept is this. When you're learning something new, work on it daily. And then you can reduce the frequency as it's stuck in your head, right? And so I, I know this is like, okay, this isn't what a normal sermon's about. This is just how to use tools. We need to do this. I am convinced that at, at Village, our battle is, is spiritual disciplines and deepening those to combat temptation and sin that way. And so this is one of the ways to do it. The way that I do it now, though, that I want to highlight today is with the app. And I mentioned this last week, but I wanted to show it to you. Um, called Scripture Typer. And there's a couple of apps, but Scripture Typer is, is something I always have my phone with me. And it handles bringing in the text. It handles everything about that. Um, no, I'm not going to look at scores. Oh, thank you, Don. And so if, if you do the app, and it's a free app, unless you go up to the pro, and then it's like four bucks or something, best four bucks I've spent. Um, if you do the app, you, this comes up on your phone or your iPad, and the first stop there is my verses. And that's the general collection of all the verses you're working on. Some of those I haven't even memorized yet, but those are, are verses that, that I've put in. And this is a new app for me, so I'm trying to switch over to it and, and really enjoying it. And then the review are the verses that you need to review every day. What's cool about it is it keeps track of which ones you review. And it bases it on how well you know it. So as you put it in, it says, oh, you don't know that one very well. You need to review that every day. Cool. There's some that, that I, I get right every time. And so now it says you only need to review that once a month. And, and, and so it handles all that for you in a really effective way. And so what you do if you're using this, you start up here by putting in some verses. And, and you just pick verses that you want to memorize. In fact, in your notes, I've given you suggestions of where to start. Because sometimes an obstacle I hear is... Well, I don't know what verses to pick. I'd recommend by starting with verses of how you'd share the gospel. Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 5.8, John 3.16. Guys, we should know those like the back of our hand. We're here to share the gospel. And and so those are all in my system. Then um, maybe as we deal with temptation, some verses that remind you who God is and and just explore your relationship with him and and expand your mind of who he is. And I, I list three possibilities there. There's a whole lot more than this. I just picked some. Um, verses that counter things that tempt you. If we're, since we're dealing with temptation, okay, let's, let's deal with some verses on temptation. Most of those you've heard me talk about in, in last week or this week. Um, verses from the sermon series. I don't know if you realize it, but in your notes at the bottom of the last page, every week is a verse to memorize out of the sermon. And, in fact, that's also in your worship folder. And it's also on three by five cards if you're doing the manual system out at the um, information booth right out here. That's how important this is. I want us to be memorizing God's word and see what God does with that. It, it'll blow you away what he does with that. Um, verses that remind you of God's promises. One of the first verses or the, in the first five verses I memorized as a kid was 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a great promise. Especially dealing with temptation that if I do blow it, it, all is not lost. I come back to God and he forgives and he cleanses. Verses that encourage us through trials, I list there. Um, Those are, I have found those to be a comfort and a go-to 
in the verses that I've memorized. And then finally, favorite verses. I, I list some of my favorite verses there. It's okay that we have different ones. And the key is, you, you can look at this list and say, okay, he wants me to memorize 20, 25 verses this week. No, I don't. One or two. You start with one or two, and then next week add one or two more. And next week add one or two more. And if you do something like this, you'll remember it. So this is the next page. This is the, the page that if you click on my verses, and now you can do some collections. And like Joy put in a collection of all the verses from our um, I Am series, or is it Behold Our God? One of those. One of the, the attributes or names of God series. And so I have that in there that I can pull those verses anytime. And then I have my verses that I just started adding. And um, some of them, like this is Matthew 4, 4. That's the one from today. And so I hadn't added that in yet when I um, took the, the screenshot. If they have the check, that means you've clicked on the verse and you've gone through their sequence of adding it to your, your verses that you've memorized. And what this app does is a little weird to, to, to use at first. Rather than typing in the whole thing because your thumbs would hurt, it just asks you to put the first letter of each word and then it goes to the next word. I was skeptical. It works because my mind is saying the whole word and I just hit that and I can go through a verse really fast. And so um, then we have this. This is the verse editor for when you're adding a verse. If you click the plus sign on that last one, you can add your own verse. And it's very simple. You put in the book of the Bible, you put in the chapter, the verse or verse range, the version. If you don't want to memorize an ESV, they, they have access to other versions. And then what I do then is I press import verse text. It goes out to their website, pulls in the verse, pulls it up, and then you click save, and it's now part of your sequence. It's that simple. Then the next page, this is the review page. And so this, this lists a number of verses that are in my list. And the ones in red are verses I need to review today. And if I miss a day, I, that's fine. I review the verses the next day. But you keep going. So these are verses that it wants me to review today because I either have just learned them or I, I, they've just come up in that monthly or weekly or whatever cycle. And then it lists all my other verses and says how long before it's going to put them in my review again. That's sort of fun to look. I can see which ones I know better and, and which ones that I keep messing up a word or two on. Um, Don, is there another one? Oh, and then this is the page for when you're reviewing a verse. It starts here, and you just put F and M and P and H, and this is Jeremiah 2.13. And you just go through it, and it puts in red if you miss um, a, a word. And then if you get a, over 90%, I think it passes you. Otherwise, it has you redo it. That's it. It's that simple. Um, you might think, well, wow, that... I could be watching football. You could do this during your commercials, by the way. I mean, this is that simple. It, it doesn't take that long. What I found is it is really helping me dial in word-perfect verses and get it right and know God's word. Um, I challenge you to try it, either the app or the system. But I want us to be a people of God's word. A people dedicated to God's word. There's other apps too. Like I said last week, I think Mimlock has an app. And I I have no ties to this one. But do something. Do something. Let's be serious about resisting sin. A couple more points that we have there. And um, the rest are a little quicker. I don't have illustrations like this for. But 
Three, constantly remind yourself that God's way is best and temptation is attempting to rob you of God's best. This is take control of your mind. Temptation starts in the head. Satan will try to convince us of things that are not true because temptation is all about a lie to us that something's going to give us something that, that God could give on, in his way. But temptation offers us a cheap, temporary, poor substitute for that. In, in 2 Corinthians 11.3, talks about Eve being tempted. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, so by his trickery, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And so we need to take captive our thoughts, constantly remind ourselves God's way is best. Man, my desires want something different. God's way is best. It is. He created us. He created this world. He wants us to thrive. He wants us to to experience His good. His way is best. But we struggle to trust God and believe His way is best because we all think our way is best. We do. And so we need to take captive our thoughts, as Paul says, and remind ourselves constantly God's way is best. And you might need something tangible. Sometimes I've used a little plastic dinosaur figurine that I'll put down just every time I see it. I'm like, oh yeah, God, I need to pray or God's way is best. Something to remind me of those things. I think we need some things like that. I I know that's dangerously close to a rubber band. But things that draw us back to the source and draw us back to God, not just some sort of stimuli that's changing, attempting to change behavior. Temptation and sin always are false promises. Always. One author I was reading likened it to the corpse flower. Have you guys seen the corpse flower? It's this flower that blooms maybe once a year or once every couple of years, and it reeks because it has some of the same odor as a, a decaying body. And so, and it only stays open for a couple days, and then it closes up, and then you wait a couple years. But while it's open, you have beetles and flies and all the scavenger bugs that are coming. The thing is, it has no nectar. So they come to the smell, and it's an empty promise. Isn't that a great description of temptation and sin? Oh, it looks so appealing. Well, I don't know that death feels appe- <laughs> smells appealing, but to those creatures it does. It looks so appealing, and then it doesn't deliver. Constantly remind yourself that God's way is best, and temptation is an attempt to rob you of God's best. Four, the other thing we're seeing in Jesus' life throughout Luke is have an ongoing life of prayer. Have an ongoing life of prayer. Prayer is, is it essential as well to defeating temptation. What did Jesus say in the Lord's Prayer? Pray this way, and he just gives a short prayer. One of those is, lead us not into temptation. His example is to pray not to fall into temptation. To his disciples in Gethsemane, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so put this into practice. At the start of your day, think through your day, pray through situations. We, know to, we often know situations that are going to tempt us where we're going to be tempted to lose our cool, or we're going to be tempted in other ways. Pray through those ahead of time. Lord God, I have a meeting with my boss today, and I am struggling with my attitude toward my boss. Help me resist the temptation to let that attitude come out. 
Help me defeat that attitude and learn to love him as a, a person made in the image of God that meets Christ. Pray about that proactively ahead of time and, and, and just watch God work. Prayer is a, a, an attitude of dependence on God. Don't just wish and hope that you'll, you'll avoid temptation. Pray about it. Number five, actively fight off temptation. We talked about this last week. Um, Jesus wasn't passive. He had an answer. He confronted Satan. And what did Satan end up doing? Leaving. Peter says, resist the devil. Uh, sorry, James, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will free from you, flee from you. A thought on this. And I take this from comparing that verse to Acts 7, where Paul is saying, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised and hardened ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. And the Bible paints this picture of we're, we're always resisting someone. Is it going to be resisting temptation and Satan that doesn't deliver, that lies to us and offers us death? Or are we going to resist the Holy Spirit, God himself, that is, is given as a gift to us for how to live life. When we say yes to temptation, we are resisting the Holy Spirit. Not good. Let's resist Satan. Let's resist temptation. And one of the, one of the ways we do that is to take practical steps to avoid being tempted. Stop temptation earlier, early. Jim and I were talking yesterday at the elder meeting about something that we, we used to always say to the youth. Um, the best way to stop temptation is to not get into the situation where you're tempted. If, if you're tempted to impurity, don't get on your computer alone. Only get on your computer around your family. That'll help. If, if you're tempted, I, I can remember dating relationships and you, you're dealing with purity there and temptations, so don't be alone. If, you, if, if you're struggling with alcohol, don't go in the bar. Don't go places where it's being served. And th- these, are, these are simple things that we need to start avoiding temptation earlier rather than getting into it and saying, I can handle this on my own, yeah, and then, and then we fall. Oh, let's stop, actively stop temptation early. Six, have one or two people that will stand with you encouraging and holding accountable. James 5.16 says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. We need safe places to say, I'm struggling, pray for me. Places that aren't going to abandon us, friends that aren't going to abandon us and say, oh no, you're, you're a sinner, we can't get together anymore. Yes, yeah, so are you, Right? I, okay, we, we need to be able to share those things in the right setting, two or three, uh, in, a, in a private setting with godly men and women that we can trust. But do you have someone like that in your life? You need someone like that in your life. You need someone. The, God has created us to be in community. This is how, how we stand together. And then finally, seven, be ready. Satan waits for opportune times. In verse 13 at the end, and we, this is again the passage from last week. When the devil had ended every temptation, he departed and never came back. 
Satan's smarter than that. He departed from him until an opportune time. Satan knows our lives. His demons know our lives. And he will find an opportune time to tempt, to, to, to attack in any way he can. I'm reminded of Paul's words to the church at Corinth. Let everyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. We've got to be on guard. And we do better on guard, right? So, so if I say, who should I, I'll pick on, on Andrew. If I say, I'm going to throw this ball to you, right? Okay. He caught it. We're fine, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was hoping you could catch. But if, I, I can't even throw. If I just throw it at someone... Let me try that again. <laughs> She's not looking. <laughs> I couldn't actually do it. Um, if I throw it at her when she's not looking, what happens? I get in trouble, yeah. And we have no more library. Um, <laughs> when we're on guard and expecting something, we're, we're better able to handle it. Satan's going to tempt you this week. This sermon isn't saying that you're, you're never going to be tempted again. He is going to tempt you. He is going to tempt you today. Be ready. Be ready with some of these things. Lord God, you are able. And if we're to, to resist temptation, defeat it and crush it, it's your strength that we have to do that with, which is why you've said, pray to me, depend on me, be in my word, live by my spirit. Lord, help us to get over the, the sin and the temptation to handle this on our own to think I can do this and help us to depend on you, Lord. I pray for Village that we would be resistors this week, that we would actively resist temptation and we would start to see victory in our lives because I know in a room this size, man, there's so many struggles. And we've seen sin and and temptation wreak havoc on our, our lives. So Lord, I pray that we, through your strength, would start to see victory in these areas, that we would see temptation crushed, that we would see lives sold out for you and what you will do with those kind of men and women. Lord, thank you for a group where we can be honest with each other, open with each other and say, yeah, we're all struggling with temptation. Let's stand together by the power of God. In Jesus' name.